hello 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 everyone and welcome back to another episode of the podcast this is missing the point with miles david and i am your host thank you so much for tuning back in if this is your first time listening i welcome you if it is not and you have been listening to the show for a while now thank you for listening and thanks for coming on back i know um just by the sheer lack of podcasts that i have been editing and producing that it has been a minute since you guys have probably heard my voice or heard a fresh episode so here i am back to correct that <laughs> just you know plug in my my socials for the podcast just so you if you are solely listening to the podcast you can actually get some interaction in other platforms and other avenues uh these will all be linked into the podcast description on apple or spotify or wherever you listen but I can be found at Missing Point Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Clubhouse. Again, all of that will be in the podcast description just in case you're like, Miles, you haven't did an episode in a month. Like, where can we find you or talk to you? And I'm still around. I'm always around. Um, <laughs> July is typically a very reflection-filled month for me because, drum roll, it's my birthday. I celebrated my 28th birthday on July 13th, and I've just been kind of in my birthday bag. <laughs> and amongst other things, July usually includes a lot of tennis watching for me because Wimbledon rolls around. Obviously, if you haven't noticed, we're going to be recapping Wimbledon, even though by the time this uploads, Wimbledon will have been wrapped up. <laughs> for a couple of weeks but that's okay like it's still a great event even if I didn't upload the recap episode like the next evening that the tournament was over with you're still gonna listen you're still gonna like it and you're still gonna enjoy it and that's because I listened back and enjoyed it myself it's actually one of my favorite episodes I'm sorry I didn't get a chance to upload it sooner and more um in time with the timeline of Wimbledon but life happens like I just said it was my birthday so I can do what I want. No, no, I can't do what I want, but I want to make sure you guys are tuned into tennis. No pun intended. Shout out to the people that frequent the tuned into tennis room on clubhouse, which you should absolutely join, which will be linked in the podcast description. Um, but enough about all of that. Today's episode is going to be recapping the 2021 Wimbledon tournament. It was a interesting one. I have a very interesting guest. Aaron is on this episode. This is Aaron's first time on the episode, and it is a hilarious conversation. I tend to, I tend to like people that make me laugh on my podcast because I'm already a chuckler. So if you make me chuckle already, then we're golden. We, we see each other, and me and Aaron did a lot of seeing each other on this episode. And we also incorporated a Instagram live session, so that'll be towards the end of the episode. So hopefully you... Um, listen all the way through and just really get a, a vibe for how we thought the Wimbledon 2021 tournament went. And yeah, I'm going to sign off really quickly so you guys can get into the full episode and I'll be back to wrap up the show like I always do. In the meantime, enjoy the episode, guys. Let me know what you think. Um, give me any feedback that you feel while you're listening in the podcast description where you can find the email address. That's why I would like all my feedback or just shoot me a DM at missing point pod on Instagram or Twitter. I'm always open and receiving. So without further ado, here's a conversation between me and Aaron recapping Wimbledon 2021. Enjoy. Oh, 
Another one for the highlight reel. Didn't Beyonce send him flowers? Allegedly. You know, they, they check up they check up on each other every I, now I and then. I think she did. I think her and her team <laughs> did, like to kind of fulfill that joke. <laughs> I think they did. <laughs> Beyonce checks up on me every now and then. We got each other's number. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so before we get too lost in the cackle and lost in the sauce, I have to introduce you to the podcast listeners, because this is your very first time on the show, and I enjoy bringing new listeners onto the show, and you have been somebody that I've, like, had in the back of my mind, like, when I even started thinking about, like, tennis connoisseurs and people that I would see on the Twitter timelines talking about tennis, I was like, Aaron can do this. <laughs> and then like it just it just worked for Wimbledon. So here we are. And now you have to tell people, the listeners that don't know your voice, who you are, because I know who you are. At least, yeah. you know, I can point you out in the lineup at least. <laughs> yeah, so I'm Aaron. Um, I got into tennis. Um, well, I've been following the sport for what? About 13 years at this point. I got in. I was, I was a teenager. I was still 12. I was still like 12. And I remember it was a country club birthday party. One of my good friends had. And so I went up on the other side on the hill and I just liked it. I started, I was a pusher. I was so bad. You mean like how you played? Like, yes, you pushed, I was scared you, to not, hit the you ball. Were, not, not Wozniacki. I was a Wozniacki. You know, <laughs> I was Caroline Wozniacki in the flesh when I first started. And then by the time, you know, about seven months of playing, suddenly I was a ball basher and we're working on honing things in and we kind of become a blend of what we need to be. And um, yeah, obviously I had my faves that I watched and learned from um, better and not so much my fave anymore, but Ooh. that's kind of who I watched, nice. <laughs> kind of who I watched to learn some things from and obviously Venus and Serena um, and Sanford. So those are the four that I kind of was learning from. And it's interesting because that was, you know, shortly after I started watching Djokovic was who emerged. So it's interesting that I really didn't care to, learn much do you see me side-eyeing you about the mention of sampras why is that <laughs> not, not that not that sampras doesn't deserve a, like he doesn't deserve the side-eye because of sampras i'm side-eyeing you because i know <laughs> wait were you watching sampras like in his in the prime like have you, have you ever watched him win a grand slam no 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 i was very much like i just watched footage and his serve like things like that i didn't okay. actually watch him however i will say that Got you. Okay, 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 okay. But you, I mean, obviously, we've watched Venus and Serena. I, I know you've watched Venus and Serena because mm -hmm. I've literally seen you on the timeline. We're not going to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> being, being upset at the same shots that I watch when Serena misses or Venus misses them or whatever happens. I've seen multiple times our reactions be very, very, very similar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I still don't I still don't think you're a problematic well, I'm gonna call you a problematic tennis Twitter king, but I don't actually think you're problematic. <laughs> I, say, I remember when you first said that label, I was like, now hold up. Like is this you the gist? Is this like oh, I like some of your tweets, so I'm gonna call you problematic fave because you have some unpopular takes regarding That's what it is. and whatnot and yep. players. Okay. That's, I can deal with that. I'm that's okay cool with what it is. Popular takes that aren't harmful. I'm okay with that. And we, we talked about that. So. They're not, yeah. We, they're not like, I need to report you. Because <laughs> you're like, <laughs> just completely some going. Of the folks. <laughs> some of the people on tennis Twitter, it's like, do you have a, 
never mind. We're not going to go into it. We're not going to go into it. <laughs> Is there anything that you wanted to, to say to the listeners um, before we get into this 2020 Wimbledon um, recap or review? I don't know. I'm excited to get to it and, you know, trying to talk with somebody else that likes tennis. I'm really glad you invited me on, so I'm ready to get to it. Okay, let's let's hop into it. Um, can we get a drum roll for the champions? Not really. No. They deserve it. They deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> no. They deserve a drum roll. They, they deserve one. It just doesn't feel... Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna give them their flowers. We're not I'm not I'm not going to be purposely um I'm not gonna purposely uh what's the word? I'm I'm gonna give them their flowers. So. <laughs> yes, that's the word I was looking for. Undermine. I didn't want to undermine them. So Wimbledon 2021 wrapped up. And just to get this out of the air, if you're listening to this and you are like Miles, where have you been? Wimbledon ended 17,000 days ago. Yes, I realize that. I had to take some time to get my thoughts together. One, two, this podcast is a part of my life, but it's not in totality my life. So <laughs> cut me some slack and give me some grace. And three, I had to really sit on what I wanted to say. Because was it a weird Wimbledon for you? It was. I, I was. I didn't get engaged with this one the way I would like to have. I don't know what it was this year. Perhaps it was just my faves kind of going out in the way that they did especially on the women's side. Um, I just, I wasn't feeling it this year. I've kind of been that way in general with tennis, you know, and I can't even say post-pandemic. I was just about to ask you, like, is it a pre or post-pandemic thing where it's like you just got into it? It's definitely a pandemic thing. I think, you know, it's still kind of, especially with the slams, coming off of slams that didn't have spectators and now they're suddenly spectators. Even that hasn't quite drawn me back in. I don't know why that is. Um, maybe it'll take some easing back into where I'm like, yeah, I'm enthusiastic about it, but who knows? Um, last one I was excited for obviously was the Australian Open in 2020, um, where I was like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about this. And even when my faves are performing well and doing well, you know, and I have a uh, feeling that they can make a run, I just have not been into it like that. But it's okay. You still are though. It's, it's not like, it's not like you could walk into a bar and somebody asks you who just won Wimbledon and you have no idea. And that counts in our sport. <laughs> that counts. That counts. <laughs> Unless it's the French Open women's side. Ooh, I, I, I we did we did episodes about the French Open. We talked about how much of a mess that was. We did not have to bring <laughs> up that trauma. We do not have to bring that up. <laughs> even you know, even the WTA, what was her name? I saw that clip circulate where they asked her about the recent French Open champion and she did not know who she 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 didn't know. Wait, there was somebody on the WTA? Yes. I don't know if it was a junior. She was a young player. I can't remember where it was at. And they'd asked her about was she Asian? Yes. I think I, I think I've seen that clip. I didn't put two and two together. Maybe I didn't watch it enough to like get the like the funny part of it. But I know I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, she really did not know who she was. Um, but she was like, oh yeah, she was like who? <laughs> and it wasn't a it wasn't a shady who like I could, yeah. Like, I could, it was like a genuine like like <laughs> couldn't pick her out of a line of one. Very like honestly. <laughs> I mean, but the winners of this Wimbledon, you definitely can't, one more than the other, you definitely can't pick them out of a lineup because the right. men's winner was Novak Djokovic. He won a record-tying 20th Grand Slam um, and major of his career and a sixth Wimbledon title. 
and he's now a three-time uh, he's he's won the tournament three times in a row 2018 19 it was skipped in 2020 due to the pandemic due to the pandemic so nobody played it and then in 2021 he defended his title for the third time over and on the women's side Ash Barty became a member of the Natural Surfaces Grand Slam Club. <laughs> She's a two-time Grand Slam champion now, winning at Wimbledon. This is her second Grand Slam, accompanying her 2019 French Open. And I think we should get into Ash Barty's route to the final and like her story. Obviously, she deserves the most conversation in some ways because she is the champion. And I think it it kind of is a culmination of what she's been through in the past 12 plus so months that she did win this specific title. The title that like, if you've been keeping up with her career just a little bit, she's like mentioned in press and stuff that this is the one that she really wanted to win in the French Open. Although she was happy to win it, it was like, girl, did I really just win the French Open? <laughs> this one, yeah. you can, you can kind of tell from her reaction and just the, like the way she... I feel two ways about like how much um, sports media has the camera in like the athlete's face. It's twofold though, because sometimes it can be like, like, why are we so, why are we so in tune with their lives like that? Like give them some privacy. But in moments like in Ash Barty's case, it really was nice to get like an insight into how much it meant to her. And I had never seen her really emote or react to a title like that. So that was nice to see, especially for me, somebody who says, I always call her a, a scoop of vanilla ice cream, like not bad at all. On a hot sunny day, you can't really pass it up, but it's not the one that you may remember the most. It's like a, a good old faithful, if that makes any sense. Yeah. How did you how did you feel about her winning, like her winning the final and just like her overall like acceptance speech and how did you feel when she won? You know, I like it I had mixed feelings about Barty and that I'm not somebody that's this big fan of her, but I can respect what she's done, especially coming back from the pandemic and kind of she shut me and a lot of tennis Twitter up just kind of about, you know, our thoughts on the rankings. She she sure did. She came back and won Miami. Um, getting this title as well. She got to a clay court final. She lost to Sabalenka, wherever. Um, so I think well Not wherever. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to. Rem- <laughs> it's okay. It's a, we don't blame you. The French the the clay court season is too long. It's okay. Yeah. It all goes together. <laughs> but um, you know the thing about Ash, I think, is a lot of people say her game's not interesting. Her style's not interesting. And I can agree with that, but at the same time, it's effective. And I think a lot of it's because she doesn't go for, you know, she plays a very smart game. Um, she still can be aggressive. She can soak up pace, you know. She can neutralize two-hander, obviously. Like that's Her two-hander is her slice for most people. Um, not great. Um, but she makes up for it. She has her slice backhand. It apparently works. Um, <laughs> the, usage of, the usage of the word apparently there. <laughs> No, I, I'm not even saying that to be shady. Um, I, I, I say it apparently because I'm like, look at the material, you know, look at the results. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, you really can't, I mean, you can, like, if you really want to be that person, uh, and it's usually built out of spite to be that person to, like, not give Ash Barty her credit, and or it's built out of the fact that she spent a lot of time at world number one due to how the ranking set up. But we, we're, like, a solid 
couple of meters away from when the rankings were actually frozen. And since she's been back on the tour, she's been winning or she's been consistently getting to the later rounds of tournaments. She only has like maybe three or four losses on the year. Mm-hmm. But by almost anybody's standards, she's having a really magnificent year. And by winning Wimbledon in her second Grand Slam, she's almost slipped. She's basically, if not like, what's the word I'm looking for here? She cemented her spot in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Winning a French Open, being world number one, a year in world number one at that, and winning Wimbledon, like she's going to go down in the tennis history books, whether people like it or not, you know? It just is what it is. Yeah, and there's intangibles to that as well, where she's on the road. She hasn't gone back to her home, She's and she plans on being on the road for what? Basically all year. Um, that, that's pretty – that's some gutsy stuff. That's, you know, that's grit that she has. Um, I think she has what a lot of the players don't have. Um, I was I just about to much. mention. I was just about to mention a male player from our own country that doesn't have any of that grit, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> not too hard on him now, but <laughs> um, if you're listening, you can read between the lines. <laughs> yeah, I was just summing it up by saying, you know, she she deserves her spot. She solidified that she she's here to stay. She deserves to be there. You can feel how you want about her game. It's a smart game. You know, she plays aggressive when she needs to. She does have the forehand. She has a serve, which is something that a lot of players don't have. Um, there are and things it's dependable. That it's dependable. Yeah. It's, it's something that she can, like, walk up to the line and feel, and you feel as a watcher, that she's confident in it. And a lot of women, um, not that they are completely, like, off the mark at it, but sometimes you can just tell when the nerves hit it hits them the most in their serve. With Ash Barty, it's not really like that. You know, any yeah. any shot in tennis can go off, but rarely does her serve just look like, what the hell is she doing out there? Right. She has a pretty good rhythm out there. And random fact, she's the first person since, I don't know the name of this individual, but like she's the first um, female winner of Wimbledon since the 1930s to win in a white cap. Like, you know, like the, the visor yeah. or the bandana. Did, did you see that uh, information or that little random yeah. tweet on Twitter? Yeah. I think it's interesting. Just ju- Justice for Justine in a, never mind. That doesn't even sound right. <laughs> <laughs> never mind. Okay, let's get, let's get into Ash Barty's road to the final and ultimately the championship. She started off her championship run beating Carla Suarez Navarro. A uh, 6-1, dropping the second set, 6-7 in the tiebreak, and then winning the third set, 6-1. That was only one of two sets she dropped throughout the entire tournament. The second set the second set she dropped in the tournament came in the final. And that was a um, an interesting test for her, mostly because we didn't know what her form was going to look like coming into Wimbledon because the last time we saw her she was retiring in the second round of the French Open with a hip injury in the time before that if you remember if you want to go back further she retired in her match against Coco Golf at Rome so like although she's been having a good season there were question marks building on where where her fitness was but to, for her to come through that match was a, was a definitely a tough one because Carlos Suarez Navarro is a t- former top 20 player and she's playing in her final season so shout out to Carlos Suarez Navarro um, for putting up a good fight out there. But um, I wasn't totally convinced at that point that Ashford would be the champion, but the next couple of rounds definitely put me on the the body party. <laughs> uh, in the second round, she beat uh, Blinkova. Third round, she beat Sin- uh, Sinyakova, who has a win over Serena Williams this year. In the fourth round, which was a kind of a, a, a nice uh, matchup of former French Open champions, 
she beat Krychikova, who just won the 2021 French Open, 7-5, 6-3 in the fourth round, which was a pretty good matchup. And I think at that point, I was like, okay, she's in, in form enough to actually lift this trophy. And she, she kept that level. She beat Tomjanovic in the quarterfinals, Angelique Kerber in the semifinals, and then ultimately Karolina Pliskova in the final. Um, in, in a really, and I think a really interesting women's final in Wimbledon. That was the first time that the women's final had gone to three sets since 2012, I believe, actually. So that was something nice. And it really felt like, although Pliskova, and we'll get to her a little bit to kind of break down where she's been and how she kind of came to this final, but it felt like on paper, a complete opposite of what we were looking at in the French Open. It felt like players, and it was players that have been in Grand Slam finals before. So this should have been a match of like a grapple for who's playing the best and who's going to get the W, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. <clears throat> it was interesting, like especially those round of 16 matchups. It reminded me, I will say, I talked about not being that into tennis this year, but that Australian Open, those round of 16 matchups they had, I was like, oh, I need to watch these. <laughs> That was kind of how I felt a little bit about the round of 16 matchups here at Wimbledon, where it felt like, okay, for the most part, people that have held their place, you know, they, they held their place. Um, people that have the history of winning, even if they're kind of down push through this year, um, kind of had a rough year, ugly French Open. Um, you know, you had players in there where you're like, yeah, this looks like a competitive draw um, for where, you know, any of the top seeds could take it. So it definitely was a, a good contrast to the French Open. I would agree. It, it, it definitely felt like a good majority of the players that had a shot to win were still in the tournament come the second week. Not all, and you're never going to get all, usually. You rarely get all, but it, it felt like people had that, it, it, it felt better than the second week of the French Open. Not to, like, throw anybody that was, up the, you know, in the second week of the French Open on the women's side under the bus. It just right. was, at the Grand Slams, people expect to see the cream rise to the crop. Nothing's wrong with a story of like a underdog. Nothing's wrong with that occasionally, but it had started the rumors that the WTA is a mess <laughs> and like, you know, anybody can win, which anybody can win, but there's a reason that certain people are ranked higher than others. And usually at a grand slam, you kind of want to see that play out because that typically is what you get. That's when you get the best matches typically. Yeah. There's always outliers, but that's typically what it is. Um, but yeah, Ash, Ash Barty, like like we were saying earlier, she pretty much just cemented her fact that she is the number one player in the world. Um, Sabalenka, Arena Sabalenka, in, interestingly, in, interestingly, she could have left the tournament ranked world number one if she had won it over Barty or over someone else because she's been having an equally good season, just maybe not so in the majors. Um, should we? I guess that's a good topic to go on to next is Sabalenka. I want, I'm, we're eventually going to get to Djokovic, but that's not that interesting. <laughs> Sorry. I said I wasn't going to undermine, undermine him. <laughs> but let's let's talk about Sabalenka because Sabalenka you know, actually, you know what? No, we're not going to talk about Sabalenka just yet. We're going we're gonna to hold on, on her when we switch to Instagram Live and talk about players who had breakthroughs because mm -hmm. she's legitimate in the epitome of a player that had a major breakthrough. A big one. So, yeah. So actually, let's let's hop over to Novak Djokovic and do a breakdown of how he got to his uh, seventh, excuse me, how he got to his sixth Wimbledon trophy. So he started off his tournament. Everybody was talking about how he, easy his draw is. And 
I'm inter- interested in your opinion. Do you think a number one seed in a tournament should get an easy draw? I mean, they're by a lot of people's stand, they're going to, for yeah. the most part, typically. Um, so, yeah, and I think tennis is, again, it's it's one of those sports where you can't ever say, I mean, we've seen upsets happen, not so much with the Novak Djokovic, but we've seen the other people, where it's, you know, you got to play who's in front of you, and you let a player get confident. Wimbledon is a place, especially with Novak Djokovic, you know, he's hinted at this, and I will say, you know, hate him or not, like him or not, he, he, he is correct, and whether that's his own doing or not, he's typically playing against the crowd as mm-hmm. well as his opponent. So I think that has to be factored in as well, where it's like, is it really easy, or does he make it look easy? I think he makes it look very easy to block out a crowd that is often rooting louder for the player against the net across the net than him especially when you factor in the fact that he's the world number one and chasing history normally that's more than enough to get people on your side like if we go back to serena like even the players were kind of were kind of cheering her on to get that well, some of the players they were cheering her on to get that uh, calendar year grand slam in 2015 because that's something monumental and people can get behind winners but with novak Djokovic there's just always going to be, maybe not always, but for the past two years or so, there's just been an elephant in the room where you kind of have to acknowledge some of the, the flub-ups and mishaps and things off court that just kind of make you scratch your head, like, what is this guy doing that takes the attention away from his tennis? And if he had less of that stuff and more of tennis, maybe it would kind of equal out the balance of who gets root- rooted for on the court. But it is what it is. And I ultimately think in some weird way, it makes him play better. I don't like, maybe not like to admit that all the time, <laughs> but yeah. just it, it, just watching the final, the final against Matteo Berrettini, especially that first set, anybody with a, well, yeah, anybody with a good pair of eyes and ears could see that and hear that Berrettini was the one that the crowd was overtly pulling for. Even in the, the stage of, Novak tying uh, Rafa and Rogers record of 20 they were pulling the Berrettini and then maybe because Berrettini's not hard to look at at all <laughs> there, there may be that but there's also a lot of him being the underdog you know and yeah. people just people they don't get me wrong like although I'm not in the Novak Djokovic fan club he has a fan club so there's people rooting for him it's just interesting how that dynamic has played itself out throughout his career, especially over the past couple of years. It's because he's talked about it in the press, and the press have made it kind of a storyline of him being the quote-unquote bad guy of the sport, even though he's not a badass. He just kind of plays the role, especially when you put it in the context of Roger and Rafa being the two global superstars that that they are. And he's a global superstar in his own right, just not really knocking on the doors of those two, if that makes sense. Right. So, I mean, let's talk about the final before we actually get into how uh, Novak got there. The final against Matteo Berrettini. That was Matteo Berrettini's first Grand Slam final and basically a a culmination of of a great season he's been having, especially on grass. He won in Queens Club in the week right before. I don't think he even dropped his serve. If he did, it was very minimally. Um, so he came in pretty hot. He played pretty flawless tennis 
up until the final, honestly, he dropped, I think he dropped a set against Felix Argyaliassime in the quarterfinals. And he dropped a set against Hubert Hercash in the semifinals. And he may have dropped a set maybe in like the, the opening round, I believe. I was really proud of Berrettini, actually. It was nice to see someone have the pressure that the tennis media and blogs and writers can put on a player actually be able to live up to that pressure and make the final that people kind of put him in. Mm-hmm. Maybe because, maybe it's because I have a um, affinity, I guess that's an affair word, an affinity for watching women's tennis and seeing the opposite happen sometimes. <laughs> it was nice to see that with Berrettini. And I just in general like his game. I think his game is really suited to the grass. And I ultimately see where he can actually make like better strides especially in that final because if you go back and watch the match i don't know if if the the live if they put the full match on youtube probably not when would they be playing games when it comes to social media content um (laughs) he came out really really i don't know if cold is the word but he came out a little a little too aware of where the moment was for him which I can't blame that like for your first grand slam final to be at Wimbledon, which a lot of people call the cathedral or the sanctuary of tennis, especially center court. He had played on center court before, but it was that time it was for all the marbles. He came out a little bit aware of the moment, but he was helped out by Djokovic because Djokovic uncharacteristically had a bunch of double faults in that first set. However, he was still able to actually take the lead. And I mean, Djokovic by that taking the lead, but as soon as he did, Berrettini kind of like realized that he had enough game to hang with Djokovic because they just played in Paris and Roland Garros and Berrettini was able to take a set off of him again in a tiebreaker and that's exactly exactly what happened in that first set of this Wimbledon final so it was it was just nice to see him kind of you could almost kind of see him press game on in his head and play like the hammer that people call him isn't that his nickname the hammer it is. It is. It is. They call him the hammer because of his forehand. Um, <laughs> not for anything else. Not for any other reasons, people. <laughs> well, not that. Not that we can confirm or deny. Well, we definitely can't confirm it. Um, <laughs> it was just. It was. I'll, I'll just. I'll just wrap it up by saying it was nice to see Berrettini be in that limelight and not be overawed by it, not really be too um, scared of it, and just be beaten by a better player in the more important points. Because a couple of those, a lot of the sets really could have went either way. Not You may not be able to tell it in the scoreline, but if you go back and watch the match, Berrettini was in that match throughout the, basically the entirety of the match. So that was really good to see. How, do you, how did you feel about it? Yeah, um, definitely. And to your point about, you know, players holding up under the pressure of, you know, whatever, I think it was also, he won Queens as well. So it's cool that I think with tennis, there's so much pressure, like you mentioned, but more so, especially when somebody wins a tournament, you know, suddenly it's, oh, this person's, they're they're the favorite suddenly, you know, it's, it's, it's cameras are everywhere. They're going to win this tournament, or they're at least going to make the final. So it's cool to see them at least make the final and then actually be competitive there as well. Um, and then in reverse, like I've talked about, you know, somebody loses, it's it's panic mode everywhere. So it, it was good to see him get that deep. And like I, I agree completely, and I agree about this way um, with Shapovalov as well, mm, where yeah. you also feel those are two matches that could have had a very different result. 
um, even though the score, uh, the scoreline may have said different. But just giving um, a rundown of Novak Djokovic's route to the title, he beat Jack Draper, a wild card from Great Britain, who actually took the first set off of him. So eyes on Jack Draper, the young lefty from England. He uh, took the first set off Djokovic 6-4, and then Djokovic kind of woke up <laughs> and put the hammer on, on him 6-1, 6-2, 6-2. In the next following rounds, Novak didn't drop a set. He beat Kevin Anderson in the second round. Dennis Kudla of America, uh, why do I say America, of the United States um, in the third round, and then also Christian Garin of Chile in the fourth round. He beat all those players pretty handedly. In the quarterfinals, he also beat fairly handedly Martin Fuksovic. And we'll get to um, Martin Fuksovic of Hungary because he kind of had like a little bit of a breakthrough, especially in regards to who he beat to get to that quarterfinal. And then the semifinal I was just referencing, Novak Djokovic beat uh, Denis Shapovalov in three very, very tight sets, 7-6, seven, 7-5, six, seven, five, seven, five. Definitely one of the matches of the tournament. I know sometimes a straight set match doesn't really get the credit it deserves as being like a classic or like an instant watch, but that one was a really, really good watch. And then ultimately, Novak Djokovic went on to beat Berrettini in the final in four sets to claim his sixth one within title. So I don't really want to get into that goat conversation when it comes to Novak Djokovic because one it just irks my soul it, it, it I will say though it is nice to see the symmetry of like Rafa having 20 Roger having 20 and Novak having 20 and then whatever happens from here is just whatever happens from here and have you seen have you seen that that um Rolex commercial that they kind of aired in Wimbledon about Roger, about how it, how the, the numbers don't matter. Have you seen that? <laughs> you said what? I said a very different tune suddenly. Yeah, because it used to be very abrupt that we can't call Novak the GOAT until he has beaten the numbers that Rafa and Roger have put up. But it looks like for all intents and purposes, especially this season, he's won the first three Grand Slams and looks like, a very likely winner of the remaining one at the U.S. Open in September. It's interesting to see the narrative shift, but I can't. I, that goes to show me that the that the narrative was never actually, or the the real meaning was never actually behind the numbers. It was that it's Djokovic being the person that's titled the goat, and that is a polarizing thing in tennis. Yeah. And. I can't, I, I can't blame it because t tennis fans, because our sport is so niche, we hold on to things. <laughs> and the, the grip that Rafa and Roger and their classic matches and their rivalry and the dynamic of how they have shifted popularity in tennis is a grip that's really, really tight. So him trying to get in there is just not as popular. It's popular to some people, depending on who you ask, it's just not... It's it's just not overarchingly just like the 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 public's pick. He's not the public's pick if that makes any sense. For all the good tennis tennis he plays, he's not the public's pick. But he did play a good Wimbledon, and I can't be mad at that. So go Novak Djokovic. <laughs> Look, I mean, I I said this beforehand. I said he was going to end up cementing it himself. I think in 2019 I said that um, right at the beginning, right. I think I said that when he waxed Nadal in Australia in 2019. Wait, I should insert the meme of Monique saying, damn, I did say that. <laughs> you know what? I, you know what? I did say that. My bad. <laughs> 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 
boom, and there it is. And there it is. There it is. Because here we are two and a half years later. I said it, and here we are. I I, I prophesized it. I did. Um, I, I think I may have said that before he waxed the doll in that Australian Open final in 2019. But I said we would get here in the next couple of years um, with Djokovic, numbers-wise. I, that's all I got to say on that. I know there's a lot of other factors some people have. I know there are different metrics for what people consider. It's why I stay out of it because it's such a subjective thing and feelings get in the way sometimes as well. Um, you can't but even objectively, objectively, when you just look at the numbers, the past 10 years from 2011 to now, there's a gap and he's far and wide away from the rest of his peers. It just is what it is. It may not be a, it's a tough pill to swallow, but it's a pill you have to swallow nonetheless. So, like, and I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to me as well. Like I'm not, I'm not talking to other people. I'm, I'm kind of telling myself what I need to do as a tennis fan and just yeah. be like, it's Djokovic is, is, is head and shoulders above everybody. It just is what it is. Yeah. Um, it's look, he, Somebody said on Twitter, like, he breaks records that you ain't even know existed. Like, <laughs> this shit is in different areas. It's true. So I, I think that speaks volumes itself right there. You know, kind of about the numbers piece. Now, the likability and all that, I don't get into that because I, I personally don't care about it um, when it comes to that conversation. That's fair. I completely get it. But enough about Djokovic because we talked about the winners enough and gave them their <laughs> gave them their flowers, <laughs> gave them their flowers. Let's talk about some of the people who didn't have really wonderful Wimbledon's um, and had some kind of shocking or disappointing early round exits and didn't really do and didn't really give what we thought they were supposed to give. <laughs> Just to mention one and. Um, We'll start with the men on this one. Stefano Tsitsipas, even though the player that he lost to in the first round is a tough guy to root against in in uh, Tiafo, it was the manner in which Tsitsipas lost and in context of how he lost because he just got to his first Grand Slam final at the French Open, and then he comes into Wimbledon. Even though people didn't really have – there's not a huge body or evidence of work to really – be able to firmly say that Sissipas is a comfortable grass court player, but there is enough evidence to say that he's a good tennis player, period, right? So I think that's what, like, people were leaning on by thinking that he could keep up his run, but unfortunately he wasn't. And a little bit of it was just the way that Tiafo was playing, because Tiafo, if people aren't aware, he won a challenger event in Nottingham in the UK just a week or two before going to Wimbledon. So he had legitimate wins under his belt, although they weren't at the very highest level of the sport or near it. A win in tennis does a lot for your morale and just for your overall game. You swing freeler, freeler. <laughs> you swing more freely and you have more intent about your, your, your plan and just your shots and execution in general if you are feeling like you've been winning, you know? Um, it's it's a, it's amazing what winning can do, and that basically, that basically just paid off for Tiafo in that first-round match. I personally was skeptical. Like, when I was making my draw, I didn't think Tiafo was going to pull up that, off, that upset just because I've been here before. We've seen this story and thought about, like, mm, you almost had it, Tiafo. <laughs> so I just thought that was going to be the same old song. So I was proud of Tiafo, but also kind of disappointed with Tsitsipas, the fact that he couldn't really put out a set. And um, I, lo- I like Tiafo, but he has not had an amazing year. So that's not really a quote-unquote good loss for Tsitsipas, you know? That was yeah. 
it wasn't it, it was a popcorn match because of the names but matchup wise i would i wouldn't like i would i would say that sissy pass beats tiafo on their on their best days would you agree i i would agree with that um i think with sissy pass it's still Again, you mentioned the other things about there are a lot of intangibles that play into this, you know. So Sibas coming off the disappointment of that, you know, being up two sets to love and Snowback Jokic in a French Open final and having to have that turnaround. Um, didn't play a warm-up event, Tiafo again, coming in, having some grass prep. Um, and then additionally, Sissy Boss finding out his grandmother had just passed away. There's a lot of elements to this. Um, and then you got Tiafo as well. Um, you can't discredit him. And he's also got that flair about him that people like. It draws people to the game and it makes you want to root for him. So to have that in the first round with no preparation, um, I kind of saw that matchup and was like, I think it's doable depending on what Sissy Pass we get. But I didn't, I wasn't, it wasn't a pencil yet as he's going to win this match. And so well, mm. he he won it because quite frankly, we know how it can be with him as well. Um, mm-hmm. Where he wins a set and he's, you know, banging on his arms and I'm like, all right, focus in, focus in. Like, you still got two sets to go. Showing us that taco meat. We're like, okay, we see. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, um, that was definitely one of the bigger upsets for sure on the men's side. It was good though. And Tiafo didn't just like let it, let that, um, momentum die off too quickly. He won his next round, I believe. And he got he lost the hatching off in the third, in the third round, which isn't a terrible loss on paper, but a winnable match, a winnable match. Right. So there's, he can walk away from that tournament feeling good. Um, and kind of Sissy Paz can too. Like he has gone through the stuff that you kind of touched on off court, like uh, losing his grandmother during or right before the French Open final. Um, that can't be easy, but it seems like he has a, a good grip on things. Hopefully it's not an earth shattering loss for him. But what I have noticed with Sissy Paz his ability to kind of bounce back from things is pretty good. Like it wasn't that long ago that he lost a match up seven match points at the U S open. That was less than a year ago. And I, I distinctly remember maybe it's the Brad Gilbert and me being like, if he has a terrible rest of the season, it's because of how he remembers that match going down. Cause he should have won that match multiple times, but he shook it off. And there's been a couple different times, even in the French open um, of the final, like, Maybe that one's a little bit of, of a of a tougher pill to swallow or a tougher sting, but he's had moments where it's like he should have won matches and those matches that he should have won could have derailed him, but it didn't. So I like that resilience in him. He, he kind of keeps things in perspective. Even though, this, even though the tournament was disappointing for him, I have faith that he'll keep, keep it in perspective. Keeping with the men, before we hop over to the women's side and some of the, the early round losses, were you surprised that Rublev lost in the fourth round to Fuksovic? On a surface like grass, no. Um, and I think there's also this element right now. He had some very good results in the pandemic, in the height of the pandemic, I should say. We're still in it. Um, Doesn't that feel weird? It's like some people yeah. are in a post-pandemic and some people are it's whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, a lot of his results, you know, they come at the 500 level, you know, and especially when there were no fans. I sometimes wonder, I'm like, how does he mentally take all this in getting back with spectators and you know, people observing him and people rooting for him or against him. Um, I sometimes wonder, is that is that going to play a factor for him? Because he had some really good results during the pandemic. It was the way that he lost. I'm pretty sure he ate a bagel. I'm pretty sure he got he lost a set six love to Fuksovic, which if you've been in your diehard tennis uh, bag, 
he's owned Fuksovic every time they played this year. They've played like th- that match at Wimbledon was the fifth match they played against each other this year. And Fuksovic actually, when he was walking off the court in their match in Dubai, he literally said, I hope I never have to play you again this season. And then a couple of months later, you basically get the winner of your life because Rublev was the number five seed. And I don't think Fuksovic has had a higher ranked win than that in his career. He's had some good wins. He beat Stan Wawrinka at, in the Australian Open in 2021. I think this past Australian Open, if not 2021, then 2020, maybe. I don't remember. <laughs> Time is all blended together. But definitely the best one of his career is just that Andre Rublev was slated to be in the quarterfinals against Novak Djokovic. And Novak Djokovic got Fuksovic instead. And I really was interested to see what that matchup would have been like for Rublev against Djokovic. Because I don't know if they've played each other at all or since Rublev has become like this guy that just wins the 500, you know, and like kind of put himself in the mix of eventual Grand Slam titleists. I have to, I have to fact check that after we finish this. But um Regardless, I was I was a touch disappointed with Rublev, but I mean, again, it's a fourth round showing, not the worst in the world. But it was the it was the way he lost and who he lost to that kind of put him on this list for me. Yeah, I have mine. Okay, as as Sebastian Corda, and he lost to Karen Hatchinoff. It's the way that final set went, where I'm like, it was break city. Um, I was like, y'all, I was like, how do y'all have these big serves? Like the yips were there, obviously. So Cord doesn't have a big serve to be a big guy. He can, I mean, he's he's young. I think he's not even twenty one yet. So there's time, but it's a, it's not like ready to press the panic button. But it's interesting that he's American, tall, and doesn't have a big serve when usually that's what American men have produced over the past couple of, of yeah. decades, actually big serves and big forehands but yep. I think I think overall without the big serve he's still a more complete player than what we're used to saying however um and I, I think that was I think that's a bad loss and just the way it happened I'm not going to say it's a bad loss to lose to Karen Hatchinoff but when you have that many breaks in a final set you feel obviously your opponent's vulnerable obviously he was too however unfortunately mm-hmm. Um, you just feel that's a match that he very well should have won or could have won. I think his levels definitely, he's got a high ceiling. Corda does? Mm-hmm. I think he does. I think so too. I'm, you, you guys didn't see the, the motion I just made, but I'm going to zip my lips. I know exactly what you're I'm not, I'm not even, I'm not I'm even. Not even I'm not even, even, not even going to say nothing. I don't even phase me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I know exactly what you're doing. I know we we here we see each other we see each other. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's get on to the women and some of their um, early round shockers. The first one on the very first day of the tournament was Petra Kvitova, um, who was upset by Sloane Stevens. And interestingly, on paper, Sloane Stevens leads their head to head. If you guys remember, Sloane Stevens beat Petra Kvitova in the two lead-up tournaments before she had that really shock run in 2017, winning the U.S. Open. She beat Petra in Cincinnati and Montreal, I believe. Um, so she went in with a, with a, I guess, positive history. It's just that going into the tournament, Kvitova had just reached the semifinals of a tournament on grass, losing to Kerber in three tight sets. And Sloan doesn't really have the pedigree recently on grass she actually has made a quarterfinal at Wimbledon in 2013 
Um, she lost to Marianne Bartoli, the eventual champion, so that's not terrible. But it's been a couple seasons since she's actually made any inroads in grass on Wimbledon. So a lot of people thought that that was just going to be like an entertaining match. But I know for me, when I looked at the draw, I definitely had Kvitova in the final. <laughs> so when she lost first round, I was happy for Sloan, but I was like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> my, my <Yeah>. draw, my draw. <laughs> I definitely think with Kvitova, we always have her. We're thinking she's going to make a run. And even if she's had some good lead-up tournaments with grass, she has not been that girl at Wimbledon since she won it, really. Since 2014, since 2014, she has, she has not. She's not. I think the furthest she's gotten was the f- fourth round in 2015. She hasn't even gotten further than that since she won in 2014. So, yeah. That's, so that's not great. <laughs> I know she had had she'd made a remark in the press afterwards. You know, I think it was I think it was all in good fun. Of, you know, I practiced with Sloane Stevens before on grass, and I was surprised she played this well because she's not fun to practice with. She's not good to practice with. And it, Sloane has admittedly said that as well. I'm not a good player to practice with. So I yeah, think fun. I just thought it was funny. I was like, your your resume as of since 2014 has not been too great here either great player it's just interesting that the player the or the excuse me the place that she's had the most success she's not finding it again that's so interesting but she wins everywhere else like she's a factor everywhere else almost anytime she's in a, she's in a tournament she can have a shock loss just by the nature of her play if she's just off or if it's the if the wind is too much or if she's just a fraction not feeling well the way she goes for the ball she can have some weird losses but they keep happening at Wimbledon I'm not sure why yeah and I mean she just recently lost somewhere oh she lost in, in one of these in one of those Wimbledon hangover tournaments yeah she lost <laughs> in uh Prague yeah that was yeah. weird but at least she got that to three sets like she didn't even yeah. get the one to Sloan Stevens to she, she a, a seven five yeah she didn't pinch the bitch <laughs> I will say though, in that match, I think it was a different. It was there were some things that slowed it differently. We ever since she's come back from her foot surgery, she has not had the serve she had prior. We saw her bring out one fourteen, one fifteen. We saw her save some great points with some big serves. Um, some and return well, which is something yeah. that her game revolves around. Honestly, yeah, she she did a good job of neutralizing. Even if they weren't big, they were deep. They got Petra off the baseline. I think that put Kvitova in a very uncomfortable position. And it, it wasn't about ripping her, hitting her off the court. Sloan wasn't going to do that. She's not able to do that. Her back swings are too huge on grass to hit through a, a Petra Kvitova. That's not going to happen. Um, she moved well. She did a good job throwing in the slice backhand. Um, so all things considered, good win for Sloan, even if Petra wasn't at her best. And something good for Sloan to build off of. Agreed. Um, Agreed. You know, Sloan's the type of player Kvitova would lose to, I think. Mm-hmm. That's why their head-to-head shows it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I was trying to think of something really catchy to segue into Andreescu's loss, but I don't have it. <laughs> Neither did she. Neither did she <laughs> in her match. <laughs> I watched her first-round match, and that was a clunker. Yeah. She, I'm pretty sure she had upwards of 40 unforced errors, and the match was not even close to being an hour and a half maybe less than that maybe an hour and a half is a stretch and she lost to Elise Cornet in the first round and that's not a a great loss honestly um they they had just played each other in the women's warm-up tournament in Berlin and Elise Cornet beat her there too a little bit more competitive but 
it just was shocking. And it is kind of shocking still that we haven't seen Bianca Andreescu. If you go back and listen to like earlier podcasts or just watch highlights of her run in Miami, you can like, it's, it's there. Like the flashes of what run, what run her, uh, the flashes of what won her a 2019 U S open trophy. It's there. It's just, I'm not sure. I guess it is physical if it's in nothing else. Like it has to be a mixture of physicality and her just not feeling comfortable under her own legs on a tennis court for her to lose six, two, six, one to Elise Cornet, you know? And yeah. like, she's not a player that racks up errors like that. So I just, it's, 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 it's just head scratching where her career is trending because you don't want to, I, I know I personally don't want to like bash her too hard because she just turned 21. Right. So there's, total room for her to turn the narrative around and be a multiple grand slam champion and just you know get herself back up there but it's interesting the juxtaposition of like how great 2019 was to how little we've seen her play and the the couple of times we have seen her play it's been electric like it was in Miami or just kind of pitiful like it's been everywhere else you know yeah, and I will say we haven't really seen much of her on grass and know what kind of player she is. That's the search she's comfortable on. You know, 2019, it was it was a pop-up year for her, really. <laughs> um, it was. Um, that's not to be shady. She, we, we didn't know who she was. Yeah, we really didn't know her. We no, I did not know her. <laughs> you know, couldn't pick her out of a lineup of one. But it was, she was young, however. She was very young, obviously. Um, so we really don't know what kind of grass court player she is. We got to see her in a warm-up. I will say on that surface, just what I saw in the warm-up. Her strokes weren't penetrating the way they would on a hard court. Um, and also, I think something that'll be interesting to see with her, should she get healthy, hopefully. Um, I think the sport is better with her. Um, I agree I, with that. I've had some things to say about the narratives that form ever since she won the U.S. Open. I don't quite like those. That's nothing to do with her. Um, that's got more to do with the press and just how we like to anoint people prematurely in the sport. Mm, mm. It's such a what have you done for me lately, you know, well, here's the recent, you know, fresh faced teenager. We got to market them. Um, but that's all, that's another point. But um, I think in the future with her, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how does she handle when she gets healthy? What's it going to be like when she suddenly doesn't have the, you know, I haven't been playing in a while. I haven't been healthy. What's her career going to look like when suddenly it's like there's no reason why you should be. Losing. I, I still can give her grace. I, can, mm-hmm. I still feel like she's owed grace. So when that's no longer there, I, I wonder what that's going to look like. I agree. That's perfect. That's, that's, that's really well said. Uh, have an eye on her as to what she's going to do to kind of rectify the situation when it comes to her career. I think there's, I think it just starts with her being healthy. It just seems she's injury prone. And if she can kind of find a, a way for her body to manage the tennis schedule and how demanding it is. And if that means just like being really, really particular about her schedule, which it kind of feels like she's doing, but when you do that, you need to kind of get up and ramp up the results so that it doesn't look like you're only playing eight tournaments and you have seven losses. Like, ooh. <laughs> like that's not a good, that's not a good ratio. If you're going to only play eight to 10 tournaments a year, if you want to be in the mix and have the ranking points and be seated, you better damn well be doing something at most of those tournaments, if not all of them. So that's just, that's just what it is with tennis. You know, it's not necessarily 
the nicest or like I guess fuzziest way to put it, but she has to find something in the middle, you know? Yeah. But it'll be it'll be interesting for this for her to for her to like for us to watch her do it and accomplish it. And I think it can be accomplished. So Yeah. There's a, there's a player that I know both you and I stand that um had a unfortunate I'm not going to use the word disappointing because I don't think it was disappointing. Yeah, it actually was pretty disappointing to see her go out that way. Um, And I'm obviously talking about Serena. It's interesting that it happened the way it happened. Just in my, I'll give you guys some, a little story in my little world. I've talked on my podcast before about Clubhouse and how I, you know, moderate the, the Clubhouse audio spaces, particularly during big uh, tournaments and high profile matches. Serena Williams first round match of Wimbledon is very high profile. So we were in there and, you know, the normal people that kind of rotate around those rooms. Hey guys, if you're listening. Shout out to you guys for making the room fun, including, including Aaron. <laughs> um, but we were, I was literally watching um, like the lead up to the, to the match, like the, you know, the media packages and stuff like that. And then I realized I had an appointment I had to go, go to. And I really would have forgotten about that whole turn, that whole appointment if it wasn't for my <laughs> appointment reminder of my phone. And I made it there just in time, but I basically handed off, which I don't normally do. I handed off moderator duties to someone else so they can keep the room open. So people can kind of, you know, still talk tennis, even though I'm not going to be able to be by my phone or whatever. As soon as I did that, I started getting like text messages and alerts that she didn't look good, you know? It almost, like as soon as I left the room is when like the, the I guess the misstep happened that put things in jeopardy for her Wimbledon obviously and she ended up retiring from her match due to the right leg injury um, that was already strapped when she came out there and I thought you know, sometimes as a Serena fan, sometimes if we've seen it before, she comes out on, on court and she'll be like, damn, like the tape is too tight. I was hoping it was that, but it looked like an injury or a ailment that she probably carried onto the court, but knowing her thought that she would be able to work around it because we've seen her work around stuff like that so many times you know it's probably just innate in her so just to see her literally fall down the ground was uh disappointing and just kind of it just hurt a little bit you know especially when i'm rambling now but especially as much as we've invested as far as watching her career you know and standing as much as we have just to see her hit the ground like that and leave the court waving and crying like Hmm, that's just, I'm still quite not over it, if you can't tell. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's how I feel, and just seeing the crowd and how they embrace her, you feel like she's kind of finally getting her flowers here in the last part of her career, that you feel like she always should have, she should have had, you know, nobody's owed it, I get it, but it, that's, a, that's an interesting topic. But as a fan, I will say, I know it sounds hypocritical, because I've said it before, nobody's owed anything. But just to see the reception she's getting, that made me emotional just seeing, you know, she's a 23-time slam champion. Um, and, you know, she's time time is coming at some point, you know, and it just really made me emotional seeing that. <laughs> just have, go out in that way. I have some more thoughts 
about the narrative about what you just said about 24 that I'm that I don't know if I've shared yet, but we're gonna do our switcheroo. We're gonna it's 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 time for a switcheroo. When I say switcheroo, me and Aaron are gonna go to Instagram live and continue our conversation. If you're listening to the podcast, it should be a pretty seamless transition. If it isn't, blame it on the fact that I am not an audio editing whiz. But you're gonna we're gonna work through it, okay? This is this is missing the point and you enjoy it for what it is, okay? So stay tuned. <laughs> so in this part two, there's a couple of different things that we didn't touch on in our um podcast and this portion of the instagram live i will turn into a podcast and match it together but we were talking before we uh, came over to instagram live about the untimely retirement in the match of serena williams and before we actually got started tonight i was watching like i don't know if this was like a popular broadcast network or like a popular uh sports segment but there was something that they said, and it's the tone in which they use this chase for 24 with Serena that I really, I guess as a fan, I, re- it really, I really don't like, and it kind of rubs me the wrong way. They always paint the picture as if she, they, they paint the picture now, I should say, as if she's unable to claim something or she's unable to like grasp grasp something and completely negate all the stuff that she's done up until this point and make it seem like she's this player that has been chasing this elusive title or elusive moment and can't get to it when in reality she's done more than her share way more than her share like anyone else would take her career and be happy with it but they paint it as if she's not doing enough. And I don't really care for that. How do you feel? I feel the same way, especially with somebody with her profile and uh, having 23 single slams, um, been the more the most consistent at all the slams combined since she's even come back. Um, it just feels like they're kind of trying, they're undermining her success um, in a way by painting it as if, you know, if she doesn't get to 24, what was it for? That, that's kind of how it's painted. Right. How it seems to be painted. I'm like, most people are begging to get to one, you know. Right. People are begging to get. To to get people are begging to get past the fourth round, Sabalenka. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. I'm not necessarily trying to shade her, but in the grand scheme of things, they they make it seem like the the short montages they do, and like Serena has said this for a good portion of her career, they make more of a moment about me losing than they do of me winning, and I've noticed that even more so. Um, now with her coming back from pregnancy, like when she loses, it's just like, oh, she's never going to get back again. She's missed the step. She's out of shape. But when she wins, we can't find too much fanfare about it. Yeah. I I guess, I guess our opinions would be skewed because like we're fans, but it's kind of hard not to see it that way. (laughs) Yeah. And it also goes back to again, that what have you done for me lately? It's been, you know, oh, it's been four and a half years and it's panic mode whenever there's two losses, but then suddenly somebody wins and it's, oh, I knew they could do it. They're so talented. We see it time and time again, especially with newer players on the block that, you know, may have came on the scene a bit earlier than they were ready for and suffered the downs. And then suddenly they come back up and suddenly everybody acts like, oh, I always knew they could do it. I'm like, no, you didn't. We saw the tweets. We saw the tweets. We saw like We got you a 4K. Like, let's not play. Let's not play. We got you a K in the camera now. (laughs) 
You already know that. You're on camera now. I do screenshot things. I do. We can bookmark it now. We ain't got a screenshot. Well, I guess if they want to delete the tweet or the or the Instagram thing, but there's a save and bookmark feature. So somebody said Serena is a legend. She don't need their validation. There are always those who will hate. Yeah, there were there were people that were hating at every single prime portion of her career. Um, and they still will, even after she's done swinging a racket. But we're going to be missing her when she puts that racket up. I think most people can agree with that. That have any kind of logical sense because she's an icon. She 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 supersedes tennis. Like how many tennis players have been in Subway commercials? I don't know if you've seen that Subway commercial that she was just in, but I literally was at lunch or dinner with my mom, and I was like, "What was? Is that Serena?" <laughs> in a, and I was like, "What commercial is this?" Because I'm part of me is really tired of that Urelvi commercial, it gives me a headache and I want to go use Urelvi every time I see that commercial. But, you know, she's global. Like, you can't say the name Serena Williams without somebody in the room knowing it, and I hate that they kind of downplay her just because she hasn't reached 24 when 24 is, like, literally, like, chasing a ghost. It's just not... I can see why she wants to chase it, but if she doesn't get it, it's not going to be a stain on her career like the media is trying to portray it. That's that was that's the point I guess I was trying to trying yeah. to make. But I wanted to transition because I, I know I saw some some comments about Mache de Sabalenka. Let's <laughs> let's let's give Sabalenka and the rest of the people that had breakthrough moments at this year's Wimbledon some praise. Starting with Sabalenka. Um it was really nice to see her play up to her seating and play like she plays almost everywhere else at a Grand Slam. Actually, I didn't think it would be at Wimbledon. I thought her match um, against Rabakina would have definitely troubled her because they've had some tough matches in the past. And I thought, excuse me, I thought that she was going to have that 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 blip up again, honestly, where she's like, um, oh, yikes, I can actually get to a quarterfinal and people might actually start thinking of me as a winner. When in reality, they already do. It's just you keep letting us down. <laughs> but it, needless to say, it was it was nice to see her get to the semifinal, kind of get that monkey off her back. And she played a good match in the semifinal. It's not like she completely just tanked. Hey, Karan. Hey, Riddell. Venus is definitely the reason I started playing. A lot of people can say that. Three mm-hmm. Venus people. A lot of people can say that. How did you How did you feel about Sabalenka though? Like watching her this tournament. I honestly, I was I was happy for her. I'm ready, kind of. I'm ready for her to kind of take her place in the game. I'm ready for players to start cementing themselves versus just you know, I'm here. I've won this tournament. I've won this, but I can't quite get there on the big stages. I was happy to see her finally make that breakthrough, get to a quarter, and not only that, get through the quarter, get to a semi. Um, and Rita Keenan, she's she's a tough player. Um, I think there's a lot of, on the WTA, we have these ideas of who was an easy opponent and who's not. And I'm like, even though, though whatever the ranking is, I'm like, she was playing, she was playing some good tennis, mm-hmm. Ruby Keenan was. So for her to get through that match, I think that's a huge test. Um, somebody that possessed weapons, had the big serve, um, had the big flat ground strokes. For her to come Basically that, playing the almost the mirror image of herself in some ways. Yeah. And her having to kind of problem solve with that. You know, mm-hmm. we saw more dimensions with her game. Um, I think that's encouraging sign. Obviously, she would have loved to have gotten through that match with Pliskova. Um, very winnable match. But but she, was still kind of impressed. Um, she had chances to win that match. Yeah. Um, but I was still impressed that it was 
a match that she showed up to, if that makes yeah. any sense. Because we've seen before where people just kind of shrink up at the moment, which I can understand that too, but it's even more impressive, especially when you are the number two seed in the tournament, when you go out there and play boldly like you do everywhere else, you know? Yeah, and she didn't fold. And, you know, keep in mind, she just, I don't know why this was so weird to me when I found out, you know, she just turned 23. She's still very young. Yeah. Um, I don't know why in my mind that didn't click with me. Um, but she's still are you, very. Are young. you implying that she looks older than what she is? No, I don't. I don't know. I don't know exactly what it was. I guess it's just she's been around since 2017. Is kind of when we first heard of her. Um, so I it didn't click with me. She Wait, when did we hear about her? 2017. She was she was on that Fed Cup team um, in 2017. That's when I first heard of her. But I also like a certain player that y'all may not like. Um, so I'm Sloan. So I watched that match. I was it's okay. You match. can you can stand in your slowness. You can yes, stand in yes. your slowness. So, it's okay. <laughs> um, I was watching that match, or at least keeping up with this. So that's when I first heard her. She, um, Belarus Fed Cup with USA. So who else? Who else did we have? And you guys in the comments, feel free to um, add to the conversation because right now we're just talking about players who made a splash and who were, who really kind of weren't on the radar or were kind of on the cusp of the radar. And Wimbledon was an opportunity for them to kind of shine through. Off the top of my head, I have to go with the two Canadians, uh, Denis Shapovalov and mm-hmm. Felix Auger-Aliassime. Both of them reached new like career heights in Grand Slams. Felix making the quarters for the first time, and then Shapovalov making the semis for the first time. Both of them played really, really good matches and good tournaments. I, I was really, really proud of them. And hopefully, why do I say I'm proud of these players like they actually know me? <laughs> <laughs> But it was just nice to see them, um, again, not be afraid of the moment and play to a certain level that you kind of really want to see them play when you think about their game in your head. I, instead of like actually seeing them play, when, when I think about Felix, I'm like, he damn sure should be playing well on grass. When I think about Chapo, I'm like, he should be playing well and challenging all these top players. That's exactly what he did, you know? Yeah, and... I like Shapovalov as well. I think there's a certain flair to his game that I think will bring people to the sport, but he also, he, you know, he's competitive. Um, he has the ability to rein it in. He showed it the slam, especially. Um, you know, very winnable match against Novak Djokovic. Um, he'll be, uh, I like that it mattered to him. He was disappointed in himself. It wasn't just a, you know, I got I didn't go out there and go lose to Djokovic. Like, okay. Yeah, like, he, I, he, I got He really point. was in there. Yeah, I got to this point. I fought my, I fought my ass off and, you know, I, I, it was a winnable match, or, you know, at least a set or two you feel was winnable. Again, you never know. Um, he wins that first set, maybe Djokovic ups his level, who knows. But it was right there, you know, he missed some sitters. And you can tell the, the moment got to him um, just on those big points. Um, didn't convert the break points the way he needed to, but overall happy with him. And I think this is something really solid for him to build off of. And we already gave Djokovic his praise in the first half of our recording. You know, when the podcast comes out, you'll hear it. That's <laughs> <laughs> let me let me take a sip of my drink. I had to take a we didn't after. we didn't actually shave him that bad. We, at least I don't feel like I did. I don't think we did. I don't think we did. I think we're very objective in that. Gave him his props and just do for doing what he has done and continuously. Hey Karima, welcome to the What's chat. Nick, what? What does that say? Somebody said Nick. Oh, uh, Karan is trolling, and I think he wants to put uh, Nick Curios. <laughs> In the conversation of a breakthrough player, <laughs> I mean, you can have the conversation just by yourself. <laughs> I mean, he had a good mixed doubles match with Venus. Yeah, that was entertaining. That was probably one of the highlights of the tournament. 
Who else had breakthroughs? I have to draw. I have to draw for up right here. Who 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 was in the quarterfinals? <laughs> None of my quarterfinals has actually made it. I didn't. To be honest with you guys, I didn't. And again, oh. we talked about we talked about Ash Barty in the first part of the podcast. What's up? What you, what you say? Yes, breakthrough for Anja Jabor. She made the quarterfinals, losing to Sabalenka, the first Arab woman to make a quarterfinal at Wimbledon. And she's not the first. She, I mean, she basically bested herself because she was the first Arab woman, period, to make a, a major quarterfinal at the Australian Open in 2020. So, like Venus Williams said, she is definitely leading the charge for women that look like her, come from her background in West Africa, uh, and just really trailblazing. I think it's really good to see. And her tennis is interesting to watch. It sucks that she had to beat Venus on the way, but um, she had a good tournament. A, yeah. Definitely a breakthrough. And I think her getting like another kind of overused phrase, the monkey off her back when she won the grass tournament a couple of weeks ago, right before Wimbledon. Um, it was just nice to see Anj Jabor. What do you what do you like about Anj Jabor's game? Uh, I, there, there's a bit of unpredictability. We really don't know with her sometimes where it's, you know, she'll throw in the drop shot maybe one too many times. But, you know, when she gets it right, she gets it right. And I think just her style of play, she took out Sviatek in that um, round of 16. Mm-hmm. She beat her pretty handily. I think that was Sviatek crumble, but as well, I think credit to her for getting Sviatek out of her comfort zone. I think that's that's what she has the ability to do. She gets you out of your comfort zone. She irritates you, and then she also has, she has the power to back it up as well. Yeah, she's um, not just she's not just craftsmanship and uh, guile, which can kind of be put in the umbrella of like like a a, a softball player, like not yeah. really hitting through out there. But she has enough pace behind her shots. And just looking at her draw again, she played three Grand Slam champions back to back to back. Venus Williams, Gabin Muguruza, and Iga Smigate. Like, that's a pretty difficult draw as a number 21 seed at that. And she 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 got through it. So hopefully that's just a marker or indication for bigger and better for arms because I would like to see her in the mix. Um, she's already a top 20 or 20, top 25 at least player. Wouldn't mind seeing her crack the top 10 um, just to have her in the mix with the rest of these girls doing, doing well. Um, let's read the comments for a second outside of the ones that say Heather Watson made a breakthrough because she did not. Um, Angie, Angelique Kerber in her own way made a breakthrough because I, for one, was definitely, I, and I, I try to ride the boat. I don't necessarily push people into retirement. But if you are a player of a certain age and there's like a line of consistency that you can look at on paper of your results declining, that's isn't that an indication that you might be closer to it than you may have ever been, right? Right. That's why I felt like Angelique Kerber was. So it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't all just me disliking her when I said that she was on the brink of retirement or on retirement alert, but she came out of nowhere and she won that title in Bad Hamburg the week before, kind of close to her hometown or definitely in her home country of Germany. And that gave her the spark she needed to go with this to the semifinals. So, I mean, if you follow my Twitter or the, the, the um, missing point podcast Twitter, you know, I was team anybody but Kerber to lift up that Venus Rosewater dish. <laughs> we are. Didn't want to, didn't want to see it. Didn't want to see it. <laughs> I cast up some prayers. I really did. Um, 
Barty did that. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> were, were you part of the prayer circle to get Kerb out of here? You know, I was Barty Barty. <laughs> Once it came back to the final, I was. You know, um, speaking of the Barty Barty, again, we gave her praise on the first part of the podcast. We didn't really go too much in depth with Plishkova. I guess she kind of is in um, the breakthrough category in her own weird way, kind of like Kerber is. Because Plishkova, maybe not as aggressively on the retirement watch because she's not in her 30s yet, her results have taken a dip because she used to be kind of of the same page with um, Sabalenka in a weird way. Like she would win all the WTA tournaments and then it get to a grand slam and the best she had was a fourth round major or quarterfinal. And it would be against players or matches where she would be and they were winnable and she just wouldn't do it. And it would be like, well, how did you have it last week? But this week when it really matters and you're playing as a number three, four C or three, four ranked player in the world, you're losing to Sasnovich. Sorry, Sasnovich. <laughs> how did you feel? How did you feel about her tournament? Because it really came out of nowhere. Like, I don't, I was listening to another podcast and like they do their own kind of, I mean, actually, fun fact, guys, I won $30 by um, enter, entering this Wimbledon um, fantasy draw thing. And you have to put money in to get money out. And I almost broke even, but I'm happy with the fact that I was actually a winner. I was like, I placed, I tied for fourth place. So me and the fifth, me and the fifth ranked player had to split money going off on my tangent. I say that, I brought that up to say that nobody had Pliskova anywhere in their picks. Like, even though she was the number eight seed in this tournament, nobody had a pick. And I, you can't you can't blame anybody for not picking her because what would she have, like, you would only be picking her if you were like a super fan, right? Yeah. Um, it, it came out of nowhere to me as well. Also, you know, French Open results, last time at a slam, you know, she got to, what, the second round French Open. Um, hasn't been a great year for her. And it was it was the way in which she went about her business. I will say hats off to her. Um, I think people know, or some people, some people may know I'm not really <laughs> her biggest fan. But um, Oh, you be, you be dragging her on Twitter? Well, well I mean, I, I brought you on the podcast. I'll tell you, you my problematic I don't, I don't, I don't think I do. Space. I do call her <laughs> the bot. I call her bot. Um, you know, that's just her demeanor. Um, it is. It is. It is. I mean, did you see more of a difference in demeanor this tournament, though? Did you see um, less breast robot? In particular as well. You know, she gave some big commands, and, you know, it felt like she was engaged. I think there are times where it doesn't, you don't really know with her. Um, and it makes it hard to root for her as well. Um, I think she did a good job of staying in that final in particular. Um, and the crowd wanted to see more, and, you know, she at least gave them some energy to kind of go off of. I think that's such a big thing when you play on a big stage and center court at Wimbledon is getting people behind you, giving them something, you know, showing that you want to be there. Um, and they'll get behind you, and it can help turn a match around. Um, and she did that in the Wimbledon final. I definitely think this is a breakthrough for her, you know, not being to that stage since, what, 2016 at the U.S. Open? Um, Which it had been a minute. Sorry, I was looking away because somebody – asked the question in a little question box that I wanted to get to, and I, I had to look up a file in my list of missing the point files to get the answer. <laughs> we have a file cabinet over here, people. Um, there was something else I wanted to... Yes, I wanted to circle... Is it is it time? It, do we have time to circle back to the mess? Can we circle back to the mess? Yeah. Okay, okay, let's circle back to the mess. Because I mentioned Tamjanovic's name earlier, <laughs> and 
she was at the core of probably the messiest, most dramatic off-court off slash on-court um, aggro meeting of the minds at Wimbledon. Her match, her fourth round match, was it a fourth round match? No, it was a third round match. Her third round match against Ostapenko probably has more clicks than any other Wimbledon match, maybe outside the finals, because of the drama they had when Ostapenko was down love four in the third set and decided that she had an acute ab injury and was no longer going to play and literally sat down and told the referee that I'm not going to play unless I get treatment after not looking like somebody that had just had a acute abdominal injury. Usually those look like somebody grabbing at something, falling down to the ground, looking invisible pain, not being able to just lolly gag to the chair and find and be like, hey girl, I don't really feel like playing anymore until I, unless I get this checked out. So can you call a trainer? That's usually that's usually not how that works, but that's how she did it. And I guess Tom Yanovich felt like she would have normally bit her lip on that type of gamesmanship had she done it on a changeover, right? Because it's like, mm -hmm. okay, well, she she didn't necessarily stop the momentum, but she did it as soon as Tom Yanovich was about to serve. And Tom Yanovich was like, You got the right one today. <laughs> did you watch did you watch the drama? Did you watch the clips of it? I saw. I did. Um, I will say the somebody said in the comments. Alona, you cheat, and I. <laughs> I said that, that I watched that clip, and it reminded me of I didn't. I know. We're not <laughs> oh Lord, things. trauma! It I didn't. Me I didn't say I would kill I'm her. Sorry, where that girl yelled, "Yeah, you did!" When Serena. <laughs> that's the, that's what it gave you. Um, <sighs> but you, you know what's the segue? I'm gonna keep it. I'm gonna keep it as just this minute moment. If you just go to ESPN right now, there's like a little video celebrating John McEnroe's in, uh, infamous. Um, what is it? What is his infamous? His infamous line. Um, it's not that infamous if I don't know it, right? Um, you can't be serious. I think it's that that tirade. Mm -hmm. I think it's that tirade. Let me scroll to ESPN real quickly. Actually, yes, paying tribute to John McEnroe's "You can't be serious" line. When are we going to get a tribute to Serena Williams? Um, <laughs> I swear to God, <laughs> I will take this fucking tennis ball. <laughs> so I didn't say I would kill her. Are you serious? Are you serious? Yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, somebody in that in that crowd just could not wait to 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 call her out. But whatever, whatever, whatever. Uh -huh. Um, just like that person in the crowd couldn't wait to call Serena out on her BS, Tom. Well, even though it wasn't really BS or whatever, Tom Yadovich definitely told the umpire, "You know she's lying, right? <laughs> we all know she's she's lying." And Ostapenko heard that, and I think Ostapenko tried to keep it cool during the match, but Tom Yadovich wasn't. She was just like she like everybody knows out here. She's trying to switch up the momentum of the match. She's done this before. How do you, as a as a, a judge sitting here, not have any scope of what's going on in the match? You clearly know she's trying to use this as gamesmanship and basically abuse a rule. When do you step in and kind of like judge for fairness and not just follow the rules? If that makes any sense, I think that's what Tom Yanovich's plight and her 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 tone was was that, and I agree with her, honestly. I mean, I, I really can't be mad, because if it was me and I was about to serve and you looked like you were just out here sprinting, like hitting 60, 
16 or 45. You were, you, you were getting it, and all of a sudden you break, and you're telling me that my abdominal is, like, pulled or, like, torn or stretched, and I don't see any kind of pain. What else am I supposed to believe, you know? You, you're supposed to give people the benefit of the doubt, but if you're not giving me anything to go off of, I'm going to think that you're just playing in my face, which is what Tommy out of your start. I can't be mad at her for her reaction to that. Yeah, I mean, as a competitor, I, I would feel the same way, but from a line judge, or from a um, umpire perspective, it's kind of like... What can we, you do? How do you yeah. gauge it? You know, Because mm -hmm. it's here, a rule. It's we, a rule. Yeah, and we let it go on, and then something really is wrong. Even though 95, you're like 99.9% sure, like, this person's trying to play in her face. But you can't really, there, there's no way to really go against that, unfortunately. Especially in a woman's, like, midsection. Pinko, like, she knew what she was doing. Because had it been, like, an elbow or a, a, a wrist or a leg or an ankle or something, they probably would have been able, most likely, to assess her right there on the court. But with a woman's, if she's pointing at her ab or, like, her chest area, it's usually something they were going to go off court with for privacy or like a lower back area or something like that. So she was strategic in what she was saying was her injury. And then she doubled down on it in the press conference and saying that something that she's been struggling with, girl, you just want Eastbourne. Not saying that you can't win a tournament while you're injured, but there was no mention of this ab injury that you persevered through just a week prior. You would have thought that if you lifted the trophy, you'd have said, wow, like I lifted this trophy while not really feeling that great about my body. None of that, you know, like she just, it's, it's, I understand she's a grand slam champion. And that was kind of Tamjanovic's thing. Like this is a, this is a grand slam champion. Girls look up to her. And I, I don't think that they should be doing that. I mean, do people really look up to Aspinko? Do people really like turn over in their bed and like, hey, mama, I want to be like Aspinko. <laughs> and it's even so so what like i i understand like you can be upset but i i think that whole thing it just kind of plays in again we've had this conversation about just the culture of tennis that i don't like i love tennis but i don't like the culture that surrounds it of you know oh we got to be a role model we got to be people that kids look up to i'm like raise your own kids raise your kids it's not serena williams job to raise your child it's not ostapenko's job even if she was never anointed to that position in the first place it's not her job to raise your child. You raise your child. These are competitors. These are athletes. You don't hear this in any other sport. So I think that's such a cop-out and just such a, it's a weak-minded thing. And I think it turns people off the sport. I said, if people got a look into tennis Twitter and saw that, you know, sector that blows everything out of proportion and because of the too much into things, they would be like, mm -hmm. oh, no, I don't care to even try to get into this sport because this is mm -hmm. what I'm surrounded by. But, you know, tennis, I don't, well, I don't want to, give Wimbledon the entire X here, but you know, a lot of that respectability, like you should be kind to your opponent and you should be ladylike or gentlemanlike at all times. Yeah. Stems from that tournament, actually. So it's ironic yeah. that they had such a heated moment in the tournament that's the cathedral of the sport or like where you're supposed to be, things are supposed to be so pristine, you know? Yeah. That's one thing I, like you said, I really don't love that about the sport because if you really look at it, it's almost like two gladiators out there. Like one has to win, one has to lose. So yes, you can be respectful, but there's no need to just completely go above and beyond to show some certain level of care for your opponent when you you want to be winning. You can be respectful. And obviously if your opponent goes down with like a acute injury, 
the respectful like sporting thing to do is to check on them but i'm also playing you to beat you so mm-hmm. all that like like a nicety and like that's, that's out of the window especially if you were in a zone at the highest level of the sport like wimbledon like come on now you know yeah i think a lot of people that have you know that mindset i'm like you may have watched sports or you may have played sports but you didn't play above high school or <laughs> you, you didn't, didn't play you didn't, above you JV. didn't think you were gonna win <laughs> like you didn't play above jb level you played in middle school that's it you didn't you didn't play at a competitive high level where this is something that really means something to you Agreed, for sure. I just wish Wimbledon would kind of do themselves more favors, especially this Wimbledon. And we didn't even touch on like, wow, I can't believe we didn't touch on this. Like the, we talked about Serena's injury, but we didn't talk about the massive amounts of slips and falls and that whole storyline that added to the tournament this year. They, They do themselves a disservice and they've been doing this for years and years and years and years of making the grass season so small like the likelihood that people are going to be out there slipping and falling and making an ass out of themselves is kind of high already because of the surface but if you factor the fact that they only have two weeks to get prepared for it what do you expect like how come every other like how come every other swing of the season has a masters or a wta 1000 event except grass i think they're trying but tennis is just so stuck in tradition there's more than enough room on the calendar to move things around to give the grass season a, a serious four to five weeks. It's not I'm like, how come I can see that, but the people that run the tennis world don't see that? Is, isn't that weird? Yeah, I think that's a good point about just the time in between. That's Especially if we're looking at the calendar right now and the girls are back playing or play in uh, Switzerland and where are they? Italy and um, like, not to say that those tournaments don't matter, because like I'm sure if I were to put myself in the shoes of somebody in Switzerland or Italy or the Czech Republic or Hamburg, wherever they are, and I love tennis, I would be pretty happy that like these elite athletes are coming to my part of the globe to play tennis, right? But in the grand scheme of the calendar, you can't tell me it makes sense for you to squeeze grass court tennis into the calendar like you do just to go right back to, to clay for like another three or four weeks. Like that doesn't, that doesn't compute. <laughs> and it's a specialized surface, you know, it's not something that everybody's just going to have access to either. Um, <clears throat> so so it, it doesn't make sense, like you said, to have that and then be like, well, how are all these injuries happening? That makes no sense you don't let people play on it <laughs> what do you mean like, <laughs> whatever what do we know there was a question i wanted to ask that actually goes kind of in line with this um let's see if it pulls up how do you think this tournament would have went if it was played on the pre-2004 grass um that's a good question i don't know if pre pre-2004 grass can really yield good dividends for a Djokovic play style. I'll say that. Um, I'm not saying that he wouldn't go deep. I just think that there are more aggressive players who probably would have um, benefited from the speed of the court in 2004. We, I mean, it's hard to kind of like know that for sure, but Djokovic doesn't make his living off of being the most aggressive. He makes his living off of being the most consistent. And pre-2004 and even before that, 
Andre Agassi was the only guy that went with him from the from the baseline. He did it once. So, you know. On the women's side, I don't I think Ash Barty has the kind of game to win on any kind of speed of court. Um old like new grass, slow grass, medium grass. I think she's pretty good and she's shown herself to win everywhere. Um Plus people actually might have won though because she's the more aggressive player and her serve would have been even more difficult to deal with. So I don't know. Maybe Cyberlink would have been the champion. Yeah. And maybe is that what you're gonna say? That that was my thought. <laughs> I didn't mean to steal it. I'm sorry. I, th I think Sabalenka gets through. I mean, she was playing Pliskova, who's considered a big hitter. I don't think she hits quite as big as Sabalenka does. Um, also, not. I don't think she's a good an athlete either. Um, I think that match possibly looks different. You said you don't think Pliskova was a good athlete? Not as Sabalenka. That's not saying Sabalenka is a great athlete, but mm -hmm. I think she's a better one. Sabalenka bends her knees. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Part of being an athlete. <laughs> it's still been a weird year for sports in general. It's just been a weird year for everything, almost. That's what a pandemic does, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but let's get off of here before Instagram kicks us off, and I have no control over if I can save this live or not. So I don't finish my wine too. <laughs> I'm almost, I'm almost finished. What was in my cup? So uh, thank you guys for joining us for this Instagram live session of the podcast. I'm definitely going to try to do this more. Aaron, this is not your first time, um, or this is not your last time on the podcast, for sure. Yes. Um, you, like I've been saying, and we've been saying collectively, we did a part one that I have to gel together with this Instagram audio so that I can release it as a podcast, probably before, um, um, expected either before or by Monday. I'm a one-man team. Look, this is... This, this, I got to do what I got to do, okay? <laughs> um, so that's it. This has been super fun, and we will catch you guys next time. Yeah. And y'all can holler at um, Aaron in the DMs. I know y'all been looking. Please don't. I was trying to find the... I was trying to find the... Never mind. I can't even say that on live. <laughs> <laughs> bye, y'all. Bye. Bye. Okay, my friends. I really hope you enjoyed that episode, and I hope that when you're listening to this now you don't realize that there's like a little frog in my throat <laughs> because when I recorded the actual content for the episode, the actual conversation between Aaron and I, I felt fine. But between my birthday and I don't know what is in the air. I don't think it's COVID pray. It's not COVID. It doesn't feel like COVID I've gotten vaccinated, which you should too. I feel like I have like a little frog in my throat. So Maybe I should do some vocal rest. If you know any vocal rest or remedies for a frog in throat feeling, let me know because I would gladly appreciate them. Some other things I would gladly appreciate is some feedback on what kind of episodes you'd like to see from me in the future. I have some things working on the backside. Backside isn't usually the word to use there, but I have some things working um, behind the scenes. There we go. That's the verbiage I want to use. There are some things working behind the scenes to plan for the one year anniversary of the podcast launching, which happens at the end of August, kind of beginning of September. And what I really would love for you guys um, or for us, actually, as this Missing the Point podcast family I want to do some um, listener question 
based episodes. So in order for that to happen, you guys are going to have to send me your questions about anything, actually, because I'm going to do a two-parter. I'm going to be doing a two-parter about tennis and also about everything not related to tennis so that you guys can have a whole understanding or a better understanding of who I am in the realm of tennis and outside of tennis. And I'm going to have some other special surprises dipped all up and through that. So yes, utilize my email address, utilize my DMs from now up until September, I guess, so we can get that crack in and you guys can hopefully enjoy that and I can push it out for you because it's something that I've been wanting to do and it's been brewing in my mind and I got some things going for that. Um, also, make sure you check out all the links in the podcast description. There is a link for you to support the podcast by buying me a coffee. Coffee is what helps me get through editing these podcast so that I don't fall asleep one and two that they actually come to fruition while I'm sitting on my laptop (laughs) because I can become um lazy (laughs) and I don't want to be and I want you guys to hear the stuff that I'm doing for you guys because believe it or not I enjoy it so that is it for today's episode I really hope that you guys are having an awesome week or middle of the week whenever you're listening to this i hope your day is going great hope it's gonna pick me up if you needed it and all of that good stuff i have to come up with a slogan in a very speedy way to exit out of exit out of my episodes but until then i'll just say something along the lines of make sure you don't miss the point and yeah we'll leave it at that (laughs) until next time guys enjoy your day enjoy your evening and i will talk to you later take care